Welcome back to the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. Uh, Sasha is out of town this week, so it's me, Sabrina, and I have a special guest. From the Sporting News, I have Joe Morgan, who covers the Clippers and the NBA nationally. What's up, Joe? Uh, how long have you been doing this podcast, Sabrina? Uh, four months. This is my first time? Yes. <laughs> it's interesting. I guess the, the first impressions really do matter, huh? <laughs> um, I'm excited to be on. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys have been doing a great job. So, no, I'm good. I'm a little bored. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. College football is finally back, but where in the world is the NBA? I didn't realize how much I loved it. I mean, you should be honored. Sasha and I, I don't believe, have ever had a guest on. So, this is a. Whoa. This is, this is number one. Territory. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I take the whole thing back. I couldn't be more fired up. Let's get this started. <laughs> yeah. When I was out of town, Sasha just recorded the podcast by herself. This is a. Slightly selfish, but I, I respect it. <laughs> Okay, so I guess we have to get into the big Laker news of the day. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, the audio released earlier this week, has now resulted in an arrest warrant for Cousins in Alabama. Uh, The Lakers haven't really made much of a comment other than they're going to let the investigation go through. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I got. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, it's sad, obviously, um, to have to hear him uh, doing that. Obviously, it was it was tough to hear. Um, nobody wants to have to hear that or exp- have their family or their kids or their wives go through that or their girlfriends, whatever it may be. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, um, I I guess I voiced this with you before, Sabrina, like in private. Um, I've had a problem with Boogie Cousins for a long time. Um, he's a guy with that kind of anger who was constantly lashing out at referees, teammates, coaches, general managers, owners in a really volatile way. At some point, we probably should have expected that this was going to be the case. And um, I don't know if you remember, Sabrina, but you and I were at the uh, his debut this year at, at Staples Center uh, versus the Clippers when he was in Golden State. And I remember leaving his press conference and saying to a few people, that's an angry dude. Like that's not a guy that I want to interview ever. There was an aura and a a feeling around him that made me uncomfortable. And I'm not surprised by this. And it's sad that I have to actually, that I actually felt that way the entire time. But the, I just don't know why anybody would be surprised by this. And I'll be honest with you. The other thing is like, I actually don't think there's enough outrage about this. I haven't seen that much of it on Twitter. Maybe I'm not on it as much as some people, but I don't see the outrage that I think is completely necessary for this situation to threaten the mother of your child in the way that he did. Obviously, it's it's ridiculous to me. I I, I can't believe it's going on. I'm not surprised. I, I guess I'm not surprised, but I can't believe that like in today's society, we're not losing our minds over this. Yeah, it is It is pretty strange because, I mean, in, in one way, it's, it's really sad because it seemed like Boogie was getting to have this like happy moment for the first time this summer. Like he was getting married and we saw all the videos of him with his teammates at the wedding. And it was like, Oh, okay. At least there's this one thing for him to hold on to after losing another season. And then it's like, Oh wait, the other shoe dropped. And well, I mean, like, like you said, it's, it's just so it hurts so much to think about his poor, like woman of the mother of his child who has to listen to this and, presumably his child who will also hear this video and know that his father talked about 
his mother in that way. And right. it's so strange, like you said, to think that like we we pick up on everything in the NBA news cycle. Like every single thing demands our attention. And I mean, I had to like look up and watch the video again because I haven't heard about it in the last couple of days. Like it, it got brought up once and then all of a sudden it was like, all right, on to the next thing. And it, it shouldn't be like that because this is such a strong negative thing to say about somebody. It's so hurtful. It's so damaging. And I mean, an arrest warrant was issued. Like this is not an insignificant thing. This is not a this is not a joke. Like th- this is going to escalate clearly. Um, I just think we're so desensitized to 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 athletes now, and you know, it's obviously some of the stuff that we see in the NFL mm-hmm. um, with some of the domestic violence. I, I think that probably plays a part into it. But that's sad in its own right, and that it, this is a horrible thing that's going on, and it it need there needs to be more attention to it. And and I, I think part of it is I, we kind of forget that Boogie is actually like loved by players yeah. in the NBA. So you you always get these like tweets from NFL players when like the Kareem Hunt incident goes on of just condemning it, right? I haven't really, I mean, unless I'm out of my mind, I haven't seen anything from players. So like there is this small part of me that thinks because the NBA family is so tight, they don't want to turn against one of their own who happens to be this guy that is beloved within that family, if you will. And because that hasn't happened, and because basically all of like NBA Twitter really revolves around the actual players, it hasn't become a massive topic. I, I think it will, but I, I do think there's a greater kind of question here of like, just because Boogie is loved and NBA Twitter I, apparently really likes him because he's a good player and players seem to think he's a great guy. Like we've just decided we're going to let this whole thing slide. Like we literally heard him on tape saying this, this isn't rumors. There are rumors that happen all the time about people and players being bad guys and treating their significant others poorly. I can literally go on and hear this guy's voice. And as a guy who's reported and does some, some journalism, I know his voice. That's boogie. Like, you know, I, I, just, I just don't quite get it. I want some, like LeBron James should be tweeting about this. That's that's actually what should be going on. The leader of the NBA should have a statement on this and he's not doing it. And I got to be honest with you, all the Lakers fans out there, I actually hold it against him. I do hold it against LeBron for not saying anything. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing how just the mentality among professional athletes, it's, it's something we can't really identify with, like, just to connect it to something that happened with the WNBA this season, one of the Los Angeles Sparks was arrested on charges of domestic violence. And you can see the police video of the the woman who she allegedly assaulted. And the, the evidence is fairly clear there. You know, the league suspended her for 10 games. And the president of the Players Union is on the Sparks and made no comment about the entire event. Like, nothing in support of the victims of domestic violence, nothing about the process that the WBA went through. It's just whenever someone on your team apparently goes through something like this or does something horrific like this, there's like a code where you're not allowed to speak out against it for some reason. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's just like a, a bond that's developed in the locker room, which doesn't make any sense to me in terms of the Lakers because DeMarcus Cousins literally hasn't suited up for them yet. But it just makes me wonder if there's some kind of mentality there that we can't tap into because we've never been in that locker room with them. I think the mentality is not team for team by team, mm-hmm. if you will. I mean, I obviously think that's a big part. The NBA 
more so than any other league, um, there's a bond between players in general. Mm -hmm. And if you are an NBA player, you are part of the family. It doesn't matter where you are. And I, so I, I, I think that plays into it quite a bit. And I, I'm not going to say I like I understand it. Like I, I, I like, but I mean, I, I played sports my whole life. I mean, through college, and there is a bond between players, and there is a code. And maybe 20 years ago, this would have it was never acceptable. It's not the right word. Like 20 years ago, this wouldn't have ever have been like brought up. Mm -hmm. There always would have been this code of like, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. This is 2019 where it's out in the open. And we know that this kind of stuff is like happening and it needs to be talked about. It's not okay. Like I, I don't think he should be playing for the Lakers next year. I think he will be that. Well, not playing mm -hmm. but on the roster. I think he's going to be there. But there's no way in heck that he should actually be on a roster in the NBA if you have an arrest warrant out for domestic violence for threatening to shoot the mother of your children in the head. Like you can't, it's not okay. You shouldn't be part of an NBA and being paid the NBA and being paid the way that he's going to be paid if this is the kind of insane garbage that you're going to be doing at a societal level. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you is do you think the Lakers take any action against DeMarcus because of this and no. it sounds like you think that he shouldn't be on the Lakers, but that he will be. Um, I mean, they've already used their final roster spot, allegedly replacing, you know, DeMarcus cousins with Dwight Howard. They had to waive one of their summer league guys, R. Coleman, who just got picked up by the Dallas Mavericks. I don't think that's a large opportunity cost, but I think the way that the Lakers have uh, conducted themselves this off season, they haven't really shown to be sympathetic towards the cause of domestic violence. I mean, Luke Walton, who was, I mean, still left the Lakers at the start of the offseason, had his own case that the NBA investigated over the summer. They hired Jason Kidd as their lead assistant coach, paying him more than any other assistant coach in the NBA this season. Uh, it seems to me that the Lakers could really send a message by just waving DeMarcus Cousins right now. It would even benefit them basketball-wise because that would enable them to have an open roster spot because they will need one over the course of the season. And they could do that, you know, in the interest of like, we do not support DeMarcus Cousins' actions. But like you, I, I just don't think that anything in their history suggests that they're going to do that. And they're probably just going to have him propped up on their bench, like supported by the rest of the Laker teammates. And it's it's just a little gross. I, I think I agree with you. I, I think NBA teams, uh, front offices in general, are scared of uh, the reaction from players. Mm -hmm. And I think we can well admit that uh, players are running this league at this point, and it's it's really not even close. And as we mentioned before, it's a close knit group. And if you go against one of their own, there will be uh, consequences on the back end. Mm -hmm. And I think the Lakers are are they're probably aware of that. And it's BS and it's ridiculous and it shouldn't be the case. But I I think that's eventually what's going to happen, and this will probably fade into the background, just like every other news cycle that we deal with. Everything happens now in 24-hour periods. It Something happens, there's outrage, in this case, not a ton. There's outrage for 24 to 48 hours, and that's completely off of our radar. And that's the way that we that we now have been built as a society, right? And that we have Twitter and everything just going, and there's new awful things happening all the time. And I think that's what, what's going to happen here. Um, I also just think the Lakers... 
I don't know who's really who's calling the shots. Mm-hmm. So I'd be if, if I knew who was calling the shots, I'd have a better feeling for who would be making this decision. And like if it was Genie Bus, maybe I would say, okay, like maybe they actually grow a pair and decide to uh, say, Demarcus, this is ridiculous. You're out of here. But I have no idea who's calling the shots. And so if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, Demarcus is going to be on the on the roster and and he's going to get paid and everything's going to be fine and then we'll forget about it next year and he'll move on to another team and it, it's a total joke but look I'll just circle back to what I said before like when you get a feeling about somebody like don't forget about that like remember that and I I got that feeling from the second that I saw that press conference with him at Staples Center and I was uneasy it made me slightly uncomfortable the way the aggressiveness that he had towards the media I did not like and I think that my intuition, quite frankly, I'm going to pat myself on the back here, was absolutely spot on. And uh, I've, I've had a, I've had enough of Boogie Cousins. I don't want to hear about him anymore because he's been injured nonstop for the last couple of years, and he's not going to be relevant in this league for very long. Yeah, I just, I just want to go back to one of the things you said about how we digest something for 24 to 48 hours and then it goes away. It just seems like we didn't even have the appropriate level of outrage for what mm-hmm. happened, even within these 24 to 48 hours. Like I've heard more about this online Twitter thing between Dwight and Shaq and Kobe over the last day, which is, I mean, literally over the fact that like (laughs) Dwight took Shaq's nickname like 10 years ago. And that has dominated my online experience more than anything about DeMarcus Cousins has. And it's, it's just very weird that in this culture where we, we tend to overreact to a lot of things that something that really demands our attention hasn't seemed to capture it. And I wonder if it's because it's something we don't want to talk about or it's because like, you know, DeMarcus Cousins has become something of a sympathetic figure because of the way his career has sort of gone away from him. Or if it's just because there's, there's no nuance in it, right? Like there's no side to take here. DeMarcus Cousins is in the wrong. He said something horrible and there's just no going against it. Right. Like I, I don't know. You know what I want to just quickly jump in here, Sabrina is now that I think about this is, the NBA in general, you have to be able to make a stand here. The NBA is is pushing, as they should be, the WNBA, right, on mm-hmm. ev- all the fans of, of the NBA. They're saying, you should watch this product. Why in the hell would women watch the NBA and the WNBA if they know that the ones that are running the show, that Adam Silver, everybody there, they're calling the shots – fully know that one of their stars threatened to shoot a woman in the head and they did nothing. Why would anybody watch the sport? It doesn't make any sense to me. Like at this point, if you're the NBA, you probably should step in regardless of what the Lakers do and say, look, man, I, it, this isn't going to work. You did something awful. We're trying to get a different fan base in here, which is exactly what they're trying to do. And uh, you, you, something just has to be done. I just thought about that out of the blue, and it makes absolutely no sense to me. And Adam Silver, for the most part, has been a phenomenal commissioner. So I, I'm curious to see if he decides that enough is enough as well if the Lakers don't make a move. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure like just about everybody's been listening to that Ramona Shelburne 30 for 30 series about Donald Sterling over the past week or so. And literally the first thing Adam Silver did when he became commissioner was try to get rid of Donald Sterling, who was a black mark on the league. And I mean, it's it's these kinds of things that continue to persist that he really should take care of. And I mean, I don't know about you. I, I've had enough of this subject for now. You want to have like a happier conversation? Let's have a happier conversation. We can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm in a great mood. So, DeMarcus Cousins, 
on the Lakers, at least for the time being. Dwight Howard on the Lakers. Uh, Hilarious. Rondo, <laughs> Avery Bradley. Not a lot of uh, the league's uh, favorite people are on the Lakers at this point in time. And it's kind of made me want to go back to a more pleasant period in Lakers history. So the reason I brought you on, Joe, other than to talk about DeMarcus Cousins, is I know you are not a Laker fan. Uh-huh. Decidedly not a Laker fan. Uh-huh. Grew up a Celtics fan. So I'm curious. I know that generally the Lakers are not beloved among other fan bases in the NBA, but there has to be some Lakers who have earned a small amount of your affection over the course of your fandom. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go over your starting lineup of Lakers that you tolerate, maybe even like, and why you think that they appeal to people who are not fans of the Lakers. This is a brutal conversation. Um, <laughs> it really is tough for me. Um, full, full tra- Okay, so full transparency. There are two Joe Morgans, okay? There's the fanboy Joe, right? Okay, who grew up watching the NBA, is obsessed with the Celtics and whatever, and obviously I was not a big Lakers fan. And mm-hmm. then there's reporter Joe. I like to think that they, they're separated a little bit, and I like to think that my writing is... I guess for the most part, unbiased, there might be a few things in there that leak in from time to time. Like Magic Johnson was a total bum and that's fine as a, as a GM. But um, I, I, I was thinking about this today and it was really hard for me to actually come up with five. But I will start with this because I actually think this is interesting. Um, Kobe Bryant to me, uh, as somebody who grew up despising the Lakers organization, Grew on me at towards the end, and I think he grew on with with other fan bases and people more so than anybody thinks because he's so different from what we watch in the NBA now. He never cared. Like, he just wanted to win all the time. And Kobe, though I know the Chicago stuff and the Clippers stuff happened, like the rumors early earlier on in his career about him possibly being traded, he never left. And like, there is a beautiful thing about that where he basically just looked at everybody and said, screw you. I'm better than everybody else. And I'm going to win in LA no matter what. And I actually think that people have respect for Kobe more than more so than anybody actually believes. Now, he talks a lot still, and it annoys me. I actually really don't like those those videos that he does. Is that for ESPN? They drive me insane. But I like those that last game when he had whatever. What did he have? Sixty, whatever the heck it was. In Sixty against Utah. Against yeah. Utah. I watched with my father, and let me tell you, there is no love for Kobe in my house, and we were rooting for him to hit shot after shot because of the way <laughs> he plays the game of basketball. So I think Kobe. Um, I think Kobe's probably probably number one on the list for me. See, that is so strange for me because when I think of players who are generally despised by the rest of the NBA, Kobe would be number one on my list. So it's so funny to think that like, if you were to ask Laker fans to rank their number one and then a decidedly not Laker fan to rank their number one, that he comes up on both of those. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's really hard to even describe. You, you start, when you hate somebody, right? well, I mean, hate's a very strong word. When you, of course. But that's actually the right word. When you hate an athlete because of what they've done to you in your life over an extended period of time. There's so much pain that eventually you're like, okay, you are that great. I knew it the whole time. I never wanted to admit it, admit it, but you shoved it down my throat so hard that you finally made me realize how great you are. And greatness is everything that we look for in sports. And if 
God, man, this is so hard for me to say. I keep saying this out loud. He he is, in my opinion, like a top five basketball player of all time. And when I go, I was watching uh, the 08 NBA Finals last night, uh, game four, Celtics, Lakers. Yes, people, I know I'm a total loser on a Wednesday night watching a game from 10 years ago, but whatever. Like, I was watching it with so much joy because he was bricking away. And then in the fourth quarter, he hit like four or five big shots. And I literally texted my father and I was like, that's, that's Kobe Bryant. You know, that that's why he is who he is. Yeah. And it's funny because even the same thing happens to me when I rewatch like hardwood classics, the knowing the outcome of a game, even if it's going in my favor, I still get mad watching things that don't happen the way I want them to. Um, but I think, yeah. I think what you said about Kobe sticking with one team is so important in the way we look at him because it bothers me watching the NBA now and having to like recalibrate half of the league every season to see where they've suited up, you know, for the upcoming year. And there's something very, I don't know if like honorable is the right word or just, it's the right word. It's yeah. There's something, there's something about sticking with one team for 20 years, even though it's not going well by the end of it. And just having all of your moments occur in that same color jersey in that same arena and being able to identify one player with one franchise. And I think you sort of saw that with his farewell tour, right? Like I'm, it was overdone, you know, <laughs> there was, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of unnecessary pizzazz added to all of the games that he played on the road that year. But I think the rest of the NBA sort of picked up on that fact that like, yeah, we hated brooding for this guy for the first 19 years of his career, but there's a begrudging respect that comes from watching somebody excel the way he has for so long. And yeah, yeah. you can't help but appreciate that, even if it's a player that you didn't particularly enjoy for the most part. No, I look, I, I totally agree, but I can't, I can't keep talking about Kobe. So I'm going right, right, to get another guard here, Joe. I'm not, I'm nauseous. Um, the Steve Nash era. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, all of you Lakers fans who obviously want to forget the era that was Steve Nash, which, by the way, was some of the greatest times I've ever had. Just absolutely hilarious stuff. Um, I love Steve Nash. Okay. Like, and we, for some reason, like, we don't talk about him all that much. Like, nobody ever talks about Steve Nash anymore. I, maybe some do. I don't ever hear about him. He was the most entertaining point guard I've ever seen in my life. And it wasn't even close. You think Steph Curry's much wa- must watch TV? Steve Nash was way beyond <laughs> Steph Curry. And I was, it's funny. I, it was 4th of July when he got signed. Mm-hmm. I remember where I was sitting. I was at a house on the beach in Hermosa beach, California, and they signed uh, Steve Nash. And I was with a bunch of Lakers fans, of course, and they all started losing their minds and so I thought, well, I, I, obviously I lost my mind. I was filled with rage and I took like a, uh, I took a beer bottle. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was, it was, it was, this was 4th of July and I threw it up against the wall thinking, you know, it's just going to explode on the wall and it's not going to be a big deal. And it actually went through a window uh, and shattered the whole window. And I ended up having to pay the owner of the home a lot of money <laughs> to fix the window. So when I say that I, I, I loved the Steve Nash era, there's a lot that goes into it. I think we just have to love Steve Kerr as a player. Uh, Steve Kerr, my goodness. I love Steve Kerr, by the way. Steve Nash as a player. And I, I was, while somebody who was obviously not rooting for it, like I was excited 
to see what Nash was going to bring. And obviously he was past his prime and it was never, never going to be the same, but that guy, man, he was so much fun to watch in the NBA. He was so much fun. He just didn't have it with the Lakers. So I'm, I'm putting him up there. Okay. Cause it's hard for me to find five. Yeah. So this is uh, more what I was expecting. You picking players that just make Laker fans actively hate themselves. Hilarious stuff. <laughs> when we think about Steve Nash, right? Uh, most Laker fans associated him with those Phoenix teams who beat the Lakers in the playoffs back to back years. One of those series wasn't particularly close, but one of them did go to seven. And that's the one that a lot of Laker fans feel like that was the one that got away when Tim Thomas hit that three in game six, to send it into overtime. And it's not, not a good time to relive if you're a Laker fan. So going from those moments of Steve Nash, perennial playoff foe against the Lakers, to then trading for him. So if we recap, the Lakers gave up two first round picks to get Steve Nash from Phoenix. It took them another three years to deliver those first round picks because, uh, I'm sorry, it took them another five years to deliver those first round picks because of the top five and top three protection. And it ended up just hamstringing the franchise for those middle of the 2010s. So on top of Steve Nash being abjectly terrible in a Lakers uniform, he also screwed up their (laughs) draft process (laughs) for the next five years. And it's so hard to get on board with Steve Nash as a Laker too, because he broke his leg like the second game of the season. And it's just a symbol of everything that's gone wrong for the Lakers since that point, right? They haven't made that. Can I jump in here real quick? Are you kidding me? Everything that's, this is okay. This is what bothers the rest of the U S about Lakers fans. This conversation right here, everything that's gone wrong with the Lakers organization since, I mean, I get it. It hasn't been quite. I'm not saying that he's to blame for all of it. I'm just saying that like from the minute he put on a Lakers Jersey, there literally has not been a single positive thing to root for, for this. I get what you're saying, but your pain is nothing. Like it's nothing compared to the rest of sports franchises. It's absolutely nobody cares. It's seven years of not winning a playoff oh, game. That's, that's pretty bad. I'm a, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not even going to dive into my fandom, but uh, <laughs> you, you guys have no idea what pain is. You really have yeah, no I idea. Yeah, I mean, I think after regularly advancing to the playoffs and making like half of the NBA finals that have ever been contested, going through that long without, again, winning a playoff game, I mean, that's that's a long stretch. Like, they have the worst record in the NBA over the last seven years or so. Yeah, I'm sure all those uh, those Hollywood elites are really bent up, bent out of shape about this. Yeah, all right. So this this is more what I was hoping for, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, I, could, is... I could go down this road all day if you want. I could live this. All right, this. so we've got, we've got Kobe Bryant and Steve Nash, pretty much the, the <laughs> yin and yang of Laker <laughs> fan favorites. What else you got? Uh, I'm, a, I'm actually, look, of all the people that I'm mentioning now, Robert Ory is my favorite Laker of all time. Okay. So why is that? God, he just big shot. I can't call him big shot Bob because he doesn't like that. Big shot Rob. Um, he there was just such this this like quiet elegance about him, and he just mm-hmm. I love clutch players. Like if you could give me any trait for an athlete, it's clutch, which I'm I'm mm-hmm. sure most of us would feel this way. But he would just find the way to like come out of the shadows. And hit a huge shot. And it wasn't just with the Lakers. It was with San Antonio as well. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, that shot that he hit against uh, Sacramento in what, game game six? Game four. Game four. What am I talking about? Holy, wow. Um, that was a long time ago. I'm getting old. Rip, <laughs> literally ripped my heart out. Like that was the most pain I had ever felt uh, until the Derek Fisher, the point four. Um, oh, okay. 
that was brutal. And yet every time I watched Robert Ori play, the respect for him only rose. And it, in big moments, all we can ever ask out of our athletes is to make make the big play. And I'm, I mean, I obviously I'd have to go back and look at it, but I'd say like 75 to 80% of the time, Robert Ori made the big play. But you can't say that about Kobe Bryant. Now, did he have the ball in his hands more often? Of course. But you can't say that 75% of the time he actually succeeded in what we wanted. And I feel like Robert Ori was at that level. I, I just think he was, he's such an underrated athlete. Um, I, I just, I just love, I, I love Robert Ori. That's all there is to it. I love Robert Ori. Yeah. It's funny when you, you mentioned that shot against Sacramento. I mean, I think that's the greatest crowd reaction shot I've ever seen at Staples Center. Just videos of people when, you know, d tips the ball out and just ends up in his hands and that's three. And all of a sudden, you know, three, one deficit turns into two, two tied series and it's an entirely new ball game. I mean, literally one of the defining moments of my childhood. <laughs> But they couldn't get a rebound. It was unbelievable. And that Sacramento team was better. I, I really mean, I don't, believe I don't think that they were to better. They were better. They would have beaten the Lakers one of those three years. I, I think Sacramento was a better team. I think they choked like you wouldn't believe. I mean, that game seven in whatever year that was, the final year of the run, like Christie and, and I think Bibby was okay. But like Weber, Chris Weber literally didn't want the ball in his hands. Like he'd get the ball in the post and he would turn his back to the basket and just start looking to pass. Like, hey guys, don't worry about it. I'm not shooting. So we're basically playing four on five. Those series were so much fun. But Robert Ory, oh man, he was just as clutch as it comes. And um, yeah, no, I don't know. Robert, I mean, if, if you're going to talk about a guy that like an NBA player that I would want to be, it, it's it's Robert Ory. Like just kind of play a role guy, win a ton of rings. And that's all I'd ever need. You mentioned Vladi, by the way, Sabrina. So this is... Oh, I was going to go into clutch for a second. Oh, you want to go into clutch, uh, please. So funny because, uh, I mean, most, like, you get into this, like, uh, deep dive into stats and stuff, and most people try to say that clutch doesn't exist, or at the very least that people can maybe maintain their regular season level of production in the playoffs when the competition gets harder. Like, I'm with you. It seemed like Robert Ory was just always the guy you wanted the ball in his hands at the end of the game, and... I mean, that, that Sacramento play is just like the quintessential example of how he just sort of like rises from the shadows, right? Like he's not supposed to be in that play. The ball is just supposed to tip out and the clock is supposed to expire. But no, it goes to him. And I can't think of very many players who just, you get terrified when you see them take a shot at the end of the game. If you're like, you know, obviously the opposing team. Yeah. Just that level of confidence that he inspired. It, um, and that, that the, to all the, stat nerds out there and just full transparency. I am not one of them. Okay. So like I respect the, the advanced analytics. Trust me. I have to write about them all the time. I get it. Okay. You can't put clutch into statistics and I don't care what anybody says. I, I just, I don't believe that you can. And there is a certain gene, if you will, in certain athletes that make you more clutch than others. Like Chris Weber is the perfect example an athlete that no like one of the top athletes of all time, right? The mm-hmm. Fab Five, the 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 golden child coming out of college. That's one of the biggest choke artists I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen somebody short arm jumpers the way that he did in clutch situations. And Robert Ori has that two bounces that come out to him at, at the top of the key and just buries a three. I mean, Weber would have airballed that. Or he wouldn't have <laughs> shot it. He would have just thrown it right in the stands and says, We lose. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I, I think we don't, we don't put that t- into consideration enough, right? It's just, I think the clutch team's so, so massive and what we want in all athletes. And I think Robert already had it to the max. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no three championships without Robert Dory. He was like the stretch four before that was a thing in the NBA. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I didn't think about that. All right. So you, uh, you were going on to another front court player there. Well, we love Lottie. Okay. <laughs> so I, I like, so two reasons why I love Lottie. One phenomenal passer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy that. I think that's great. I think that's the beauty of basketball. Also, he was a bit of a clown. And I enjoyed that. Like I liked kind of seeing him flopping around, flopping around the court as Vladi in, in Magic's late days. Um, and trust me, I've gone back and watched all of these games because I'm a dork when it comes to basketball, and like I want to watch this kind of stuff. And I, I just think Vladi is so lovable, um, and I don't think he gets enough credit. And, but I do think at the same time, like he was at the time when he was a Laker, like people did love him because it was that new kind of European, well, overseas guy coming over mm-hmm. that wasn't the norm at the time. And he was, he didn't speak English and nobody, nobody knew what was going on with him. But as a, as an outsider, that is a Laker that I can embrace, especially on those teams. Like those Lakers teams couldn't be more hateable. It just, you, you can't name, well, I can definitely name a team. That the team that lost to Detroit is my most hated team of all time, which was just a wonderful NBA Finals, by the way. Uh, but th- those teams at the end of the Showtime era were as hateable as, it, as they come. And Vladi came in as this kind of innocent guy who didn't, a young kid who didn't know where he was in a completely new country and could pass better than any big man we've seen in a long time. Um, I just, I, I've always loved Vladi. I loved obviously what he was in Sacramento, even though he turned into a villain mm-hmm. in, in Lakerland for flopping, uh, which made us love him even more. That's the thing. He was the guy that potentially could stop Shaq because he would fake every, every charge imaginable. So that uh, Vladi's right there. I'm telling you, he's really close to one of my favorites. What's interesting is I think Laker fans genuinely love Vladi too. Um, for, a lot of the same reasons you're talking about this. First of all, when he came, he was just so interesting to watch play, you know, the way that he was like a hub of offense in the post and able to distribute from there. Like you said, that was something that we weren't very familiar with that type of passing big man, which of course is like all over the place in the NBA. Now it's funny to think about how many of the things that Vlade did in terms of the flopping and the passing that are just all over the NBA at this point. But then the Lakers traded him for Kobe Bryant. So another major point in his favor among Laker fans because he brought them their, you know, favored son. And then even when he did go to Sacramento, he never managed to beat the Lakers. So it was almost like he was this secret agent in that purple uniform that just made sure that the Lakers would always win, right? Like he got the assist on the Robert Ory three-pointer. So we have common ground. He was always in the Lakers' corner. And then even when he came back to the Lakers at the tail end of his career, right? It's like he got a little victory lap, you know, um, where he was beloved at one point and then he got to just have all the fans love him again at the late stages of his career and just shower him with goodwill. So that's so interesting to me. We've already have three of the same four on our list. This is great. <laughs> this makes you happy. <laughs> this is so weird. But yeah, it makes good, me happy. Good, yeah. Well, I'm trying to find a, a, a happy middle ground here because I could go off on my most hated Lakers of all time. Oh, I didn't want to do that. We already talked about the Lakers are not this. getting good press right now. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. So we're trying to uplift the franchise that just got Anthony Davis. That makes sense. All right. Who's your last in your starting five, Joe? Jerry West. Come <laughs> on. Give me a break. And this is a, this is a this is a positive one. Okay? Like 
He's the logo. Like, I've never had the chance to talk. Okay, so as a guy who's covered the Clippers, I've walked by Jerry West a hundred times. I've never been more afraid of anybody in my life. He's got this presence that like, and he he looks like, I bet you he's warm as heck because everybody I've talked to is like, oh, it's Jerry West. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified of talking to that guy because of what he brought to the league, not just as a player, but as a guy who uh, obviously has, has run multiple organizations. And more importantly, the one of the most competitive individuals that you will ever find. He has mentioned on numerous occasions the pain that he still has from not winning more championships. And I love that. Like I love as an as a guy who played sports his whole life, there are things that I still think about that I didn't when I wasn't able to win. Jerry West, at however old, old he is, literally can't let go of losses. And I just think that's so cool. And I think that's exactly what every normal individual like you and I, who don't get to play sports at an incredibly high level, like that's what we think we would be, uh, is never letting go of the losses, not even focusing on the wins, just literally not being able to get big losses and championship moments that where we didn't succeed out of our heads. I, I, Jerry West to me is, is a God quite frankly. And well, you know, obviously I, I wasn't alive when he was playing. So maybe things would be a little bit different. I know Jerry West a little bit differently, but I got a ton of respect for that man. Well, I mean, I, I have to think it wouldn't be that different because the Celtics were beating him most of the time anyway. Amen, baby. <laughs> so, uh, respecting Jerry West, the fact that he built those Laker teams that, essentially ruined your entire childhood that doesn't affect your admiration for him at all no it's <laughs> a decent point uh well no the celtics won in 08 so for me it all it all flipped okay and then don't forget just for all you lakers fans out there uh, if kendrick perkins doesn't get hurt in game six you oh, lose good, the doc rivers feel yeah, yeah we're back no, on you, that you, you don't win you don't win in 2010 if, if perk doesn't get hurt you also don't win in 09 if garnett's not hurt but i guess and that's a story the lakers for all of them. if bynum is healthy it's, it's i think that's same. i think that's total garbage you got smoked I, in that series it was an embarrassment they, they, the series was never close two of the games were very close game two and game four could easily have gone in the lakers direction you're up 24 and blew it i, I can't Again, you could have easily it. gone in the lakers direction then it was a it was an absolute loser loss to be up 24 and to lose like that and then to lose in six i, I, I could go on yeah, this this is day. why i don't go back to the injury thing you guys want to know wait we won a nine and ten that's it there's no if games or buts about it. Well, I think the perk thing was pretty relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, because getting your starting center injured is relevant. Right. I, I would agree with that. You would agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't like your attitude right now. <laughs> I think it's so funny that the fact that all of these players that you've mentioned, I mean, other than Steve Nash, contributed to so much Lakers success, and you still find it in your heart. You have to. They're rootable. <laughs> Look, to, 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 to get it a little more centered, like, as an as a guy who loves the NBA, you have to respect certain things. Like mm-hmm. I love players that stick it to me constantly. Like I I can I can have respect for that while still hating it at the same time as a fan. We're like you have constantly destroyed my life. But at the same time, I want players like that on my team. Like mm-hmm. Well, all you Lakers fans out there aren't going to like this. Paul Pierce is my favorite basketball player of all time. Like, it's not even close. Right. And Pierce fought through all this adversity. He never left. Well, I mean, eventually he got traded away. But in the years that he was there in, in Boston, 
he never left and he never gave up. And like in 08, he, it finally all came together and he would, he would stick a dagger in you. And like, I respect the living heck out of that. And I think the guys that I've named with the Lakers did the same thing. And it's like, it's like begrudgingly, I'm, I'm accepting them and respecting them. Trust me. It literally took me like 17 years to have respect for Kobe Bryant. That's a lot, whatever, how many years did he play? 20. 20. Right. So like it was like 17 or 18 where I remember looking at my father who we watched a lot of basketball games together. And like we both like it was like a realization on our face of like, well, damn, this Kobe Bryant, like this guy, this dude is everything that I want in my athlete. And it was hard. Like it was really hard for me to come to that conclusion. I remember having conversations with people about it and I'm more comfortable with it now. But I mean, don't don't get it twisted here, Sabrina. This is a select list that took me many, many hours to come up with. All right. So I have one last question for you. Please. What would it take for LeBron James? What would he have to do in a Laker uniform for you to hate him? I already do. But no, I'm kidding. You already do? No, I'm kidding. Um, LeBron James is not a Laker. So it's that simple to me. I, I, okay. I don't I don't really have a ton of um I didn't like that he came to LA from the beginning. Um I thought it was a ridiculous move. I thought he was doing and I wrote about this uh for sporting news. Like I, I, I thought it was him making a move that had nothing to do with basketball. And um I didn't have a ton of respect for it. If you're gonna write the letter that he wrote, right, I'm coming home for SI mm-hmm. uh to Cleveland, like literally made me tear up. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And then for him to decide I'm now going to leave again because hey, congratulations, I got you a ring is completely ridiculous. That's not what loyalty is. So I don't consider him a Laker. And uh, I don't actually think the Lakers fans really consider him to be a Laker just yet. And I don't think they ever will. Cause when he broke that record last year, it was one of the weakest cheers I've ever heard in my life at Staples Center. So do you think even if he wins a title that Laker fans are not like, he's not going to be ever thought of as a Laker. I think he'll be thought of as a Laker. I think he'll be behind about seven to eight players. Fine. Maybe, okay. maybe even 10. I, yeah. You win a ring in LA, I, you know, God, I, I don't even know. I don't even know if that's the case. Now that I say it, like, you go and you win a ring because you had to get Anthony Davis. I, I, no, you know what? I don't see it happening. I, I don't think Lakers fans are going to respect that because there's this weird like Kobe LeBron thing that I didn't realize was a thing because they're totally different generations. Where like it's almost like you can't like LeBron and love Kobe at the same time. And Lakers fans are never going to stop loving Kobe Bryant. So I don't think that LeBron's ever going to get the appreciation that he probably deserves mm-hmm. in Los Angeles for what he's contributed to the game. Um, no, I don't I, I, like, he's never going to get his number retired. He'll never be in the rafters. All right. Well, on that positive note, <laughs> uh, Joe, is there anything you've uh, written lately you want to plug? Uh, it is the off season. I've been doing some college football and some baseball stuff. I'll have a few articles out in the next couple of weeks, but if you guys want to go check me out, go to sportingnews.com. You can also find me at Joe Morgan takes T a K E S. Um, we'll be, we'll be firing it up here really soon. I'm really excited for this season. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Joe. Um, and to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the silver screen roll podcast network. We have shows about the Lakers every day of the week. Have a nice weekend. Get, 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 get